All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gola Jr. That is me. With me, as always, super producer and reverend extraordinaire, Brandon Newman. Brandon, how we doing? I'm doing well, Mike. Thank you for asking. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Maybe reverend is the wrong word. Is efficient the proper term, considering you're non-denominational? I th- it's not efficient? Is, it, is the ent means a certain denomination? No, efficient, efficient is just the name for... Oh, you're... You're yeah. cutting the back end short, so I think it's a different word. What do you? How do you say it? I'm saying efficient. You're saying efficient. Yeah, efi- same thing. Six of one, half dozen I, of the other, baby. I, 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 Mike, the things that you hear and say they're the same, it makes me feel crazy. You using remember Shutter Island? Yes. Where we didn't know Leonardo DiCaprio was actually. I said his name wrong. Uh, was 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 wild in the head? Like you you make me feel wild in the head sometimes. Well, let me take you away from it. You are officiating a wedding this weekend, correct? That's why I bring this yes. up. Yes, 
Yes, thank you. Uh, internationally, so I don't know if it passed international waters if it actually counts, Mike, but I'm going to be in Mexico starting tomorrow. Got a big boy passport and everything. I don't know what I'm getting myself into. Let's be honest with you. My wife has scared me half to death about the entire venture. And also, uh, when you do anything without your wife, usually you're made to feel bad about it. And so I, I haven't really felt excited about this trip. But I'm excited to see some friends. And I'm excited to marry them. I'm excited to be around love. All those different things. Be a part of somebody's life forever. It's, it's all great. I am amazed it's your first trip out of the country. That's a big moment. You get to stamp the passport. That's a huge deal. I did yeah, the stamp, the passport stamping thing. I, now, I've been on a cruise before. Uh, I believe my post-graduation cruise pictures got circulated around some group chats that you were in uh back in the day but uh <laughs> i went to a uh, royal caribbean cruise to Co cozumel mexico so been in mexico before um georgetown uh, jamaica but with all that stuff all you needed was a passport i don't know a passport you needed a birth certificate and your social security card so i combined those two things like a point system at the dmv to get on a cruise now i have my actual big boy passport it is true they they did the fusion dance and became your passport so first international <laughs> flight travel i guess would be yes. but your third wedding that you've officiated now so a veteran of the game yes and also this one is a lot less stakes i don't want to ruin something for anyone listening but They've already officially been married in Los Angeles. This is just the show. So I don't, I really can't mess things up. I know if, as you went through the Universal Life Church working, there's specific words and things that have to be said for it to be legal. And it's a lot of pressure. I'm glad this time I can say hibbity bobbity boop. I do. You do. Kiss the goo goos. And then we're all done. That was how it was when I married my sister and her uh, husband, now Ben. Same deal. So I got to make it as short as I wanted, throw movie quotes in there. What's the biggest thing you've learned from the first time you've officiated to now that you know, all right, I want to make sure that I do here because I've seen how it plays with others or I've been through that experience? That no one wants it to be long. Everyone wants to be like, oh, it's over? Like, like it's a big happenstance to get dressed. But when people... When the, when when everyone's there and the people are there on the aisle, like ten minutes is ten minutes is long, but it also feels very very short. So it's like a nice little comedy set. You just kind of get people laughing, joking. You set up for the for the love to happen. I interviewed both uh, parties recently. Mike and I we we've talked about this off air, but. I have some little anecdotes that are going to be interesting to reveal to everyone and kind of make everyone feel lovey and good. And uh, the husband, John Wong, uh, said to me, I want everyone to know how perfect we are for each other. And that's what I'm aiming for. That's what I'm aiming for. You got to give the people what they want. And by the people, I mean the people that you're marrying that ask you to do yes. this. Uh, people paying for the wedding as well, the parents of the, yeah. of the thing. So you are, to, you are correct, to. though, in that you always want to leave them wanting more. Like if anybody out there has ever asked to speak or officiate a wedding, always make sure it is a little bit less than you would like as opposed yes. to I feel like I'm trying to do too much because – in most cases, you are standing between the people in the uh, in the seats and the alcohol they want to consume. Like Ooh, you yes. are, it, it's like being like I've gotten to speak at like middle schools or high schools where I'm the last event before fall break, 
and you see the energy in the room and you understand these kids are hyped because they get to leave soon. They're not here right. because of me. And so much the same way at a wedding, these people are hyped because they get to get drunk off love, the food yes. and actual alcohol on the dance floor after the ceremony's over. And you are the last class that they have before break. Amen, Mike. And also, I feel like I may have some more stories to this because uh, apparently this is two families that don't really get down like that with the drinking, but two groups of, uh, I, I don't know how you say it, you don't say kids, but everyone else at the party is there for the party, so... Shit's going to get interesting in Mexico. Oh, so. man. What a what a start to a rom-com this is. I can't wait to hear the stories <laughs> in the back of this. Uh, we had a great show for you guys today. Um, an exciting little smorgasbord of headlines from around sports. One of the yes. biggest impending free agencies we've seen in modern sports history. Some cap moves made that leave a podcaster now looking for his next NFL gig. And... Man. Our long-awaited review, episode six of The Last of Us. You and I are both excited to get back into that uh, as the series now only has three episodes left of this season. But I know. Don't smile because it's over. Or don't smile because it's over. Cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Yeah, that's the one. Um, As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, go, Joe, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. Make sure you also check out the DraftKings YouTube channel as well under the Gojo of Mike Golick Jr. tab. Brandon, speaking of television, though, time to do this tried and true sports media trend. We got to talk about ratings because, man alive, that NBA All-Star game that we spent so much time talking about, uh, stunk yeah. on ice. Uh, according to well, figures published by Sports Media Watch, the game on Sunday, which aired on TNT and TBS, averaged a combined 2.2 rating and foreign at 0.59 million viewers. That's a steep drop off from last year. It was a 29% ratings drop from 2022 to 2023 and a 27% viewership drop. Historically, how bad is that, you ask? Well, it's the single biggest season decline for the All-Star Game since 2000, which was the first one after the 1998-1999 lockout. So it's that bad right now. Worse than a quarter century type bad, which isn't surprising given the product that we saw. It's not just the product, Mike. No one saw the game and it was like, oh, this isn't worth my time. Let me change it. It was the fact that Steph Curry's injured. I, I, Kevin I, Durant is I injured. did exactly what you just described. For what it's worth, what you just described, I saw the start of that game and I said, oh, this is boring, and I turned it off. Really? Yes. You didn't You didn't just wait for the fourth quarter because that's where the action happens. It, it wasn't supposed to be anything quarters one through three. No, like I can stomach when someone tells me a TV series has a slow first season, but then season two picks up. If you tell me the first three seasons are slow, but season four is a real banger and then it's over, I'm probably not going to watch that show. All I'm saying, Mike, is that scheduled some of the best brightest stars in the NBA were not going to be there. We had another Giannis team who is very, very boring to watch an all-star game. And Kobe is no longer with us. So these all-stars do not play defense and don't compete in that way. So yes, the game is a little different, but I don't know if it's so indicative of the product being bad or NBA being bad and more of the NBA chasing the eyeballs that they're after which are on second screens and social media 
and all those other things. Like, it's all about the highlights, unfortunately. Well, that's what it is. And that's why, like, to me, when people are asking and spending time going, how do we fix the All-Star game? I'm asking, why do we care? Like, unless it is indicative mm. of a larger problem, then you've got to start talking about something. And I saw Minel Hassan and the guys in the Levitard show talking about how I shouldn't have to beg people who love basketball to play basketball. And I think he brought up Shea Gilders Alexander as a first-time All-Star who was complaining about how boring it was out there. And I understand some of those frustrations, especially for Amin, who spent a lot of time in that league in a front office capacity. I get all that. But at the end of the day, for me... These all-star exhibitions we talked about are kind of dated in what their goal is. And so if you are reaching a group of fans, especially younger fans, the NBA is really good at finding ways to do that, then you're getting some utility out of it. So I don't think there's anything to fix with the all-star game because if they're not going to try and put in a bunch of effort, the game's not going to be entertaining much the same way the Pro Bowl wasn't entertaining. And so they scrapped that and put a flag football game in there. They made an adjustment when they realized that. And this rating this year now put the uh, NBA's All-Star game below the Pro Bowl and MLB All-Star ratings for the same year. So it's it's not a good TV product to watch when nobody wants to try playing basketball, which isn't surprising. And and it's the same thing for... um, The All-Star events during the weekend, All-Star Saturday night produced its lowest number in 20 years, despite Mac McClung in the dunk contest. So the Rising Stars Challenge was down um, under a million viewers after 2022's 1.23 million. It's what we talked about. Mac McClung winning was cool and it made for some viral moments, but nobody was tuned in for the slate of dunkers that we had in that game. Like you said about Steph Curry in the main game, if you don't have a John Morant or a Zion name to sell in there, you're not going to hook a lot of people in. You might get some strays that come in because we see Mac do the cool thing on Twitter, but at the end of the day, this to me, all was predictable. Like none of these numbers are surprising based on what showed up for All-Star weekend okay what showed up but where it was may have something to do with it as well mike not on tv i'm i'm telling you i'm the synergy the hype around the all-star game was muted by the salt lake cityness of it like i i I don't know if you saw any obviously you did because you see everything but all the publications all the people that were there everyone was talking about was saying there's nothing to do here we're not excited to be here it is boring right versus I saw this clip that uh, all uh, all the smoke posted when Kobe was was talking about the All Star Game, and this is what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the best pickup game of basketball that anyone has seen, especially in that year. And he talked about how the players in it have more competitive pickup basketball games at UCLA, which I've been fortunate enough to see in person and, and see how hard they compete for those quick seven, you know, first to seven point games, beat by win by two. And that's real basketball. That is that what you saw, what the All Star Game used to be. So instead of blaming those people, I think I'm ready to blame LeBron. I'm ready to blame blame Giannis. I'm ready to blame like whatever the All Stars are because all these younger All Stars are following the lead of the people that are in front of them. And when LeBron James is taking as a network opportunity and you know just camera crews falling around things like that like no one is taking the actual game serious and no one is thinking about putting a show on for the people in the audience or the people at home 
Well, like that's, that's a, on that's on the basket. That's on the stars. Well, and that point goes to like you can bring up those pickup games. They're in the off season. This is in the middle of a season where the ultimate prize True. at the end is True. something they're already they're missing real games to make sure that they're not as injured down the stretch of the season. We talk about the load management conversation that happened and was brought up to Adam Silver and was talked about a lot over the course of All Star Weekend. You've got people missing real games to ensure they're healthy enough there. I'm sure none of these guys want to go out and even think about having an injury that might keep them from the postseason prize that as the entire basketball world has churned content in the last however many years, it's the only thing that matters now. It's the only thing people care about. It's the only way we validate players. And so I can understand why they prioritize that the way they do because all of us have prioritized that. It is the rings culture conversation that happens all the time. So I'm with you in the All-Star game, but again, that doesn't matter to me. It's do you believe that the All-Star game is indicative of overall apathy towards the NBA? And I don't think that's the case overall. I still think the NBA postseason is an incredibly compelling product. I thought last year especially, we got some new entrants to the party, right? Watching the Grizzlies and the Warriors go against each other with genuine disdain there was awesome. The Grizzlies were the best thing that could have happened for the NBA last postseason. And then you have Steph and Draymond and Clay and the usual faces go on and win it and ignite some cool conversations. But I'm not worried about postseason NBA basketball. The regular season does become an interesting conversation because, Brandon, that we've seen has very much become a little bit of apathy for viewers because they're never sure who's going to be out on the court. So that, relative to the load management conversation, feels like the place that's actually deserving of some of the NBA's energy as they try and think about this. Yeah, I I don't know. But like you said, I don't think this is a conversation about fixing things. There's a lot of variables that went into the season for what's going on now. Like I, I as much as the numbers were down, I would be interested in the conversations that the NBA social media team is having with their partners, with their advertisers, with their bosses to say, "Hey, this this clip did this many impressions, had this many likes or retweets." Obviously, these things aren't leading to television dollars and broadcast dollars and the ESPN isn't doing anything with this data, but decisions are getting made about eyeballs based on how active social media was during that game. But if those numbers on TV were down, Mike, then the social media numbers had to be down. Yeah, and but again, like this is also the thing with the ratings conversation. I think a lot of this is overblown. I think too many of us spend time trying to be armchair television executives, and it should be just more about how do we tell the story of the league the best way possible. As broadcasters, that's always our job, right? How am I, when I go into calling a college football game, it's how do I tell the story of these two teams the best way humanly possible? How do I make sure people know how interesting these young people are, what these teams do really well, who the stars are what the stakes are like that's the thought process you're telling a story and you're setting the scene going into a game for people that may not know one side or the other or both depending on what game it is for the nba it's similar in what story do you want to tell about your regular season your postseason's great that's easy to sell everybody plays their asses off seven game series biggest stars all show up the play-ins even worked really well All those things are fine. The regular season now, because I thought this was interesting, uh, Ben Rohrbach over at Yahoo wrote an article about load management and some of the actual stats and statistics about who's playing and when. And I thought this was interesting looking at the primetime effect 
because so much of the NBA is built on what the primetime games are on TNT, on ABC, ESPN, what have you. On the television side, at least one recent All-Star has missed 76 of the last 117 games televised nationally on ABC, ESPN, or TNT this season, including three quarters of the games since the calendar turned to 2023 and 12 of the final 13 such games entering the All-Star break. As many as 17 of those 76 games, so over 22%, could be flagged for falling under the purview of scheduled rest. This idea that players and teams and organizations, quite frankly, are looking at the calendar and saying, we're going to build out our rest calendar for our star players so we get to the postseason thing that is the be-all, end-all. That, to me, becomes the interesting area to look at this because primetime games are how you tell the story of the league during the season. And if you're not having the star matchups that people can set their watch to, like we talked about with the dunk contest, you're going to have a harder time having someone tune in on a Wednesday night. It's not the NFL Mm. where the games happen on Sunday, right? Your Sunday's blocked off. It's part of the weekend. It's a scarcity thing for the NFL. You've got so few of these that they feel so valuable, and they're on a day that's really easy to say, I'm going to set aside everything I've got to do, and I'm going to watch. Watching an NBA game, especially the midweek ones, you're talking about having to put other stuff to the side. You have to make a conscious choice of that. And if you're going to make a conscious choice... It would be about wanting to see, hey, known commodities, the best thing that basketball among some of the other sports can sell is because the injury rate is a lot lower than its NFL counterpart in some of the violent sports, year over year, we know who's going to be good more often than not. That value holds really well. That's why pro basketball has a lot more fully guaranteed contracts. None of those are are collectively bargained mandates. Those are risk assessments and how people dole out those. So in the NBA, the risk is lower, so you can guarantee that money. Feel pretty good about it. How you manage which games you put forth when... And to try and do it to ensure the best likelihood you have of the stars being on the court was something that Ben Rohrbach offered up in this article. And I think is probably the thing that matters most in how you do this going forward. Because Adam Silver can talk about the midseason tournaments, all those things. If it doesn't fit in with the way these teams are structuring how they do business to get to the championship goal or to get to the tank goal, which right now are the kind of binaries that exist for most teams... If it doesn't line up with that vision, I don't think it's going to matter all that much. You can talk about incentivizing with money. These guys, especially the top-end guys, have more money than God, and that's before you get to the sneaker deals and everything else. This isn't like the PGA where the purses have been a little lower and the majority of earners aren't there. you got guys we've never heard of making $60 million a year before in the NBA. So I think a financial solution there is a little bit less viable, but I think being smarter in how you craft this entire thing to ensure, hey, we're getting as many of these guys as many of the big stars into these settings to sell that's I mean for Christmas Day when I think about why for so long I bought into Christmas Day NBA it's because I knew I was gonna see LeBron and Steph play on the same court and how awesome was that I had the free time of that day it's a holiday so like we said some of the midweek things you don't have to worry about and it was great and I think ensuring if you're the NBA that you can find a way to happen have that happen more often than not has to be the goal going forward that's true, Mike, but the NBA, unlike the NFL, has kind of be has kind of been handcuffed to the star, right? Like I can't speak to what the excitement for the All Star game was prior to LeBron getting in it was the two thousand and two. But if the lowest ratings since last year's 
or this current year was 2000. I think that's indicative of like what stars were out there at that point in time. And there's been this love affair with this Victor uh, Wimbleway. Excuse me, I know that's not his name. But like the, the next great star in the NBA. And I think there's a little bit of like a lull going into it. Like everyone's kind of waiting for the the, the next LeBron James yet again. The, the same way Zion like brought people to college basketball and, and different types of, of following the NBA in ways that they didn't, especially the lottery process, Mike. And obviously that was a star set of draft with John Morant and, and RJ Bell in there at the top as well. But th- there's a little bit of wait and see because they know the next star is coming. At least that's what I'm feeling from a lot of people that are writing and talking about basketball. Yeah, there's no doubt that there's a lot of eyes on him. But again, I think part of that is because we've seen the offseason product become so much of the conversation for the NBA. And so this is about shifting focus. It's saying, hey, we want to make the focus the games a lot more. And the best way to do that is to make sure that you've got the most stars on the court possible. And that's going to require some collaboration because you are right. Stars run this league. And I don't think that's changing anytime soon. And so you're going to have to be creative in your approach to that. But I think that's going to be the ultimate benefit. Brandon, speaking of stars. Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. I want to talk about Major League Baseball. Okay. We have spring training that's been getting going. Pitchers and catchers showed up. The baseball is dead crew, I think, is on their way heading out to Arizona already, getting ready to go do some fun stuff. Obviously, make sure you're following them, what Jared and Dallas and the rest of the crew are going to be doing boots on the ground there would be a lot of fun. But again, off the field stuff, kind of creeping in with some of the excitement. There's certainly conversations being had about the rule changes going into this season. You've got a pitch clock that's going into uh, effect this year. Between pitches, a 15-second timer with the bases empty and a 20-second timer with runners on base. That's going to have an effect on a lot of people. You're going to have a limit of defensive shifts. Four infielders have to be within the outer boundary of the outfields when the pitcher's on the rubber. Infielders can't switch sides. And if they're not properly aligned at the time of the pitch, the offense can choose an automatic ball or the result of the play. 
And then finally, on top of that, you got the bigger bases that have been very memeable content, try and get more steals in the game, stuff like that. Those are going to be an adjustment. And I saw a couple of guys um, talking about how limiting the shifts is going to highlight some of the athletes that you have on the infield and make for some more web Hmm. gem plays. There's going to be things that are exciting and troublesome byproducts of that. But the real interest to me is what happened with Shohei Otani. So his agent, Nez Bolello, was speaking on Monday talking about Shohei's future with the Angels. He's in his last year of his contract right now that he signed when he came over to Major League Baseball. And his agent was asked about if they'd be opening to negotiating an extension for Shohei in training camp, in spring training. And he said, quote, I've always been open to it. But there's several layers to this one. And Shohei has earned the right to play through the year explore free agency and we'll see where it shakes out brandon if you want to talk about like good for the sport stuff i know we try and fix baseball all the time you don't need to (laughs) fix like baseball's trying with the rules right they're trying to do some things to speed up games a little bit they've listened to some of the criticism and we talked about liking when sports try right this would be a natural, beautiful, homegrown type of way to get that interest going if you had a good old-fashioned bidding bidding war for the most unique talent in baseball right now. If you had the Mets and Steve Cohen, who's been out here trying to spend money like it's going out of style, the Dodgers, the Padres, who have been spending a bunch of money, all trying to get this guy up out of the Los Angeles Angels team that hasn't been in the postseason since Shohei showed up in an Angels uniform, and has buried him and Mike Trout, one of the other great players, the greatest player in this era of the game, has buried them in anonymity. What a coup for the league that it would be not only to have this player dominate headlines, but to then have the end result be that guy ending up on a team that could give us Shohei Itani playing baseball in October. The thing that the league has missed and how they've already been able to market the craze around this young player, right? Letting him pitch and bat in the all-star game. All these great things that were smart marketing. To get him on the biggest stages baseball has to offer and to watch him work there would be incredible. And it's my biggest hope for next offseason. Yeah, Mike, I think that is... It's a little too perfect. It almost feels like the MLB is also talking to Shohei Atani's, uh agent. And like, hey... Don't say nothing about getting back to this trash franchise. We we need we need to we need to put a lightning bolt into free agency next year. And obviously he is a lightning bolt, Mike. But I I don't know if I would be interested in him going to another place that just buys buys their talent. Obviously that's what baseball does, but like I don't want to see him and Aaron Judge on the same team. I just want to see him in a place where the baseball matters. Okay. Right? That makes like, sense. That, okay. that yes. to me, is the end game on this. Because, yeah, you can be a little bit... Although I would say, too, part of this is awesome, seeing owners spend and say, hey, I've got all this money. I'm going to spend to make the team good. I think I saw Jared tweeting about that the other day. What franchise wouldn't want that from their ownership? And right. so if I you've mean, got people yeah. that are actually willing to spend then yeah, I I love, I just love because it's not just an off the field headline because if it works out and then he ends up somewhere else, we've got the potential to watch Shohei pitch and bat in playoff games, potentially make it to a world series and get to do that to affect the game. Like 
he helps one of baseball's biggest problems, which is, and I, the, the Levitar guys have come up with a bunch of great options for this, the golden bat, all these areas, to try and get the best players in the clutch moments of the game. Because the way baseball's set up, you're not guaranteed that. With Shohei, right. because he can do so many things, you've got a better chance of that. And because he's been such a sensation, it just seems like it would be such a massive win, and I'm excited to ride the roller coaster, even knowing it's a year away. Yeah, but I feel like if he if we're doing the multiple trick pony thing with, with Shohei, then I would imagine on a team where baseball matters, they need him to focus on doing one thing as good. Obviously, he's he's great at doing all those things, but it feels like there will be less room for him to have to be Shohei everywhere because they've spent money elsewhere for for you know to to alleviate that stress on him. There would be now. It's not to say these teams wouldn't have to make some financial concessions, and some of the people that have been floated as far as names involved in this, because there have been a lot of names that people have thrown out potentially here. You know, the Cubs, the Giants, the Mariners, who were I think hopeful the first time around Ooh. when you could get Shohei for the cheap. Now, again, not everyone is in the financial position to be able to do that. It's a little more fiscally real for some than others. But I guess the point is, is yeah, you're right. We've always wondered if it would hit a point where it would be beneficial to Shohei and the team that he's on to have him do just one thing. But we've gone through back-to-back seasons where he's done both at historic rates. And yeah. so while that's yeah. still the case... All-star. Yeah, it just feels like you'd be in a position to max out what's really a cool and interesting player. And we've talked about this with full swing in golf. To have a player that even, even one where we know, listen, there's some of the language barrier there, but... He's still been a huge star. He's been physically dominant. Watch, I always said, I watch sports to watch people do things physically that I could never dream of. Like some people like the relatable stuff. I don't. I want to watch mutants. And watching Shohei Itani hit the baseball is like, it makes the Super Mario sound from Smash Bros. when you get to use the bat as a weapon, that perfect mm. hit where it's that whistle on contact, like you're hitting with a metal yeah. bat. He clubs that ball to death every time, and it's so much fun to watch. And so I just think he represents so much of what I like about sports and gets to do it in a way that you've got tried-and-true baseball people that are blown away by what a historical outlier he is and the fact that we maybe don't even celebrate it enough. Yeah, I I regret – excuse me. I neglect to remember how exciting it is when you have a player set the market again. Because it really is like it, it's like it's, I mean, shit. Like uh, Bryce Harper got a chance. To, I mean, obviously he he got a chance to go to the World Series for the first time uh, this last season. But when he was getting courted, like this shit was great. Oh, I mean, there are people wondering if Shohei Itani is going to be like a Mahomes contract, like a five hundred million dollar baseball player. That's incredible Ooh. stuff. And yeah, I mean, Bryce Harper is a great example, right? Like Bryce Harper in the moment that he was a part of in the pennant this last year, getting to hit that home yeah. run in the eighth, Philly going freaking nuts. If they had gone on to win the World Series, that was going to be one of those all-time great sports moments. And it's still a really good one, but right. that's the kind of stuff that you always root for for your star players. Do they get a chance on the biggest stages? And that's really what this represents with Shohei is that chance to get him potentially on some of the biggest stages. So we'll have more baseball coming up. I, I, we're going to try and talk to the baseball's dead guys coming up more. Make sure we get you guys ready as spring training gets going here for all the change that is coming. I'll be fascinated to see going through 
through spring training, how players are adapting to these newer rules. You heard a lot of guys talking about, hey, it's not just pitchers this clock affects. There are hitters that are going to have to make adjustments to this. And so uh, plenty to keep track of there. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans will feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Brandon, uh, let's get to what's been one of the most dominant headlines and important headlines of the week, something that we wanted to get to on here, but certainly wanted to give the appropriate amount of sincerity and care to uh, as it's incredibly serious subject matter involving Alabama basketball player Brandon Miller, who played Wednesday night, last night, against South Carolina. The school announced about three and a half hours before tip-off. This comes despite Tuesday, Tuscaloosa detective Brandon Culpepper testifying that Miller had brought Darius Miles' gun to him on the night of the shooting death of 23-year-old Jamia Harris after Miles had asked him to do so via text. Darius Miles, who was on the Alabama basketball team and has since been removed from the Crimson Tides program, and Michael Lynn Davis faced capital murder charges for the death of Harris, who was shot and killed near campus in the early morning hours of January 15th. Darius Miles admitted to providing the gun used in the shooting, according to investigators, but said Davis was the one that fired the weapon. Brandon, it's there's so many specifics of this that we've seen from Brandon Miller's representation, who have said everything that happened that night is on video where this all went down. Brandon Miller, they are, there's not a crime that they could charge him with at this point. All sorts of complications where I understand the legal system fails, but I am not comfortable this point rendering what I believe could and should happen to Brandon Miller, what I think he did. But what I know is that how this was handled by Alabama was subpar and put everyone in here in this situation where I don't think he should have played in that game. I think so much of this for Alabama was going to be how you presented this. Did you handle it with care? And they fumbled on that. And putting him out there in that game creates and continues to just amplify this is a story in a way that's not fair to the rest of the players on that team the players on South Carolina that are in that game and and quite frankly just felt a bit irresponsible to pull him off the court for at least that game take a breath and say all right we as an institution and how we handle this we messed up and now we've got to figure out what we are going to do with this going forward taking very seriously what this all means in this incredibly sensitive process that's going on 
I mean, it's not fair to the victim's family. No, Mike. I, like, I, I, thank you. I, That's I, I absolutely should be first on the list. Thank you. I, well, I just, I, I it, like you said, we don't know, so you can't be so finger pointy and finger, like bad, bad, bad here, left and right. But this is your number one prospect. This is your number one scorer on your team. Alabama was and has been one of the best basketball teams in college basketball this year. So for this headline to come out and for the head coach to be very nonchalant about his players implicated and implemented in the murder of a student, this is where sports blinds a lot of like just regular basic morale and 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 common sense laws and and you know just things that you see on paper and it's like okay maybe this whole like let's take a step back like not this drastic but let's take this Alabama basketball team off the floor for a little bit until we see until we understand what happened and what the tragedy that, that took place on campus this year with this, these these players that are in the center of this, like I, this would be news on anyone's campus if it was regular students involved. For this to be as high profile as it is, Mike, I, I don't I don't understand how. Like I said, there must be details of of how it led to this, but I don't understand how Alabama is is appearing to be so uh, business as usual with everything going on in in that. In Tuscaloosa, you brought up the thing that I think is the reminder here is sports are not built to handle these things. Nate Oates as a coach is not built to handle these things. And so when you've got someone that's in over the head, it's the job of everybody around there to come together and say, because you've got legal teams at your disposal. You've got the legal team of Brandon Miller. You've got people that you can rely on for, hey, how should we go about this? And this was a decision that everybody involved in the school said, Alabama Athletics continues to cooperate fully with law enforcement. All of the uh, uh, co- cooperate fully with law enforcement in the ongoing investigation of this tragic situation. Based on all the information that we received, Brandon Miller is not considered a suspect in this case, only a cooperative ri- witness. Today's statement from Brandon's lawyer adds additional context that the university has considered as part of its review of facts. And based on all the facts we've gathered, Brandon remains an active member of our team. So their athletic director, everybody involved, signed off on the decision to have him play in this game. And that feels like a mistake stake especially in light of how you already presented this the first rattle out of the box because for so many people it's going to be impossible to get Nate Oates original thought out of their head him saying wrong place at wrong time even if that winds up being true at this point because of the severity of these accusations and how new this news was you owe it to like you said the victims first and foremost and then everybody around in that campus the rest of that team to say hey maybe we sit this player down right now We pause and think very carefully about what we're going to say in the process, and then we assess this on the other side as we continue. If this information truly is that new for you, I don't think anyone, even the people who are as staunch a supporter of Brandon Miller and look at this as potentially affecting his future when he is not being charged with a crime. 
He is just being looked at as a cooperative witness. I still think everybody involved could understand, hey, one midweek game against South Carolina is probably worth us taking a beat here and figuring out how exactly we want to handle this. And it just seems like the sports machine kept pushing, right? The optics that you brought up of best player on one of the best teams getting ready for March Madness is hard to ignore given what we've seen time and time again with sports, and that becomes the disappointing part. Yeah, I I mean, it's it's just truly unbelievable and it's unfortunate that it happened i i'm almost in a very strange way thankful that he's only seen as a corroborative witness just because of like the outside looking in but mike the gun like literal smoking gun like i i i can't yeah i know we're understand a little bit more of this later and i can't we can't speak to it because of what we don't know but what we do know seems so damning. Yeah, and, and again, I because this is a complicated legal matter, I'm not going to suppose or try and read too much into this more than to just say this deserved a lot more care than it got from everybody that was making decisions yes. on behalf of Alabama basketball. And yeah. that becomes the story now that is going to cloud whatever Alabama continues to do from here on out. Um Brandon, one of those uh, no easy transition moments here. Very serious story. Uh, it's been going on all week. We just wanted to make sure that there was some mention made of that. If you hadn't heard it, that we could try and give you the most accurate information possible a- as that continues to go along. Uh, Brandon, we will now switch back gears and get to something that is the usual finish of our show where I ask you the all-important question for the last time this week. Do you know what time it is? I do, Mike. South Beach bringing the heat. <laughs> Y'all feel that? Y'all feel that? Check it out. Uh. Here I am in a place where I come let go Miami, the place where the sunset low Every day like a Mardi Gras Everybody party all day, no work, all play, okay? So we sip a little something, later rest the spill Making Charlie at the bar, running up a high bill Letting us the meal, and we dress to kill Every time lady pass, they be like Hi Brandon, y'all feel me? All ages and rages, real sweet faces Every different nation, Spanish, Haitian, Indian, Jamaican Black, white, Cuban, and Asian I only came for two days of playing, but every time I come, I always wind up staying. This type of town, I can spend a few days in Miami, the city that keeps the roof blazing. Party in the city where the heat is on all night on the beach to the break of dawn. Welcome to Miami. I'm I'm Bouncing in the club where the heat is on all night on the beach to the break of dawn. I'm this, that, and the third. This, that, and the third. Man, it's wild to think about this version of Will Smith considering the version that we saw most recently on the biggest stage. <laughs> How dare you bring up the slap in this moment? How, hey, and thank you for the segue. I only bring up my Black History, uh, <laughs> Black History fact of the day. This actually happened yesterday in Black History, Mike, on February 22nd on Wilder Wednesdays, but I didn't get to it. Uh, 1989, DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince win the first rap Grammy ever 
presented? Um, first curse category, first rap category ever. They went up against LL Cool J, Salt and Pepper, Ice T, and more. But their song "Parents Just Don't Understand" won the very first best rap performance Grammy. So shout out to Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff and their Super Bowl winning Philadelphia Eagles. Man, you had a full theme picked out today. Not winning. Yeah. They were just there. Runner up. Sorry about that. Super Bowl appearing. It's okay. Yeah. Play as fuck up. Yeah, it's okay for Philly. But yeah. I I thought about it a little bit. I I, I know that song by heart and Mardi Gras, that word just kept playing in my head. Um, Every day like a Mardi Gras. Everybody party all day. No work. All play. Okay. So I just figured with the the, uh, girth week. And, you know, I just, you know, yeah. oh, it is Mardi Gras yeah. week. That is true. All, yes. Listen, yes. when Brandon brings out a Black History Month fact of the day, which is about every six days during the course of February, you know he's going to bring the heat. If you agree, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Go, Joe, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five star rating and tell Brandon how much you enjoyed that. Brandon, let's get to this, that, and the third. Three quick stories to finish off the day. The first ones got to celebrate the family a little bit here. Two-time WNBA All-Star Chanae Gwumake has re-signed with the Los Angeles Sparks. She announced while hosting NBA Today on Wednesday, which is always pretty cool. Chanae Gwumake, if anyone didn't know, my former partner on ESPN Radio, Chanae Angola Jr., afternoons on ESPN Radio uh, for a little over a year. But awesome to see for her, man. Uh, Chanae and her sister, Neka Gwumake, who's a former WNBA MVP. Both have been teammates on the Sparks in the last couple of seasons. Gotten to do that together. Uh, and excited to see her continue her future uh, in the City of Angels. Hey, man, Mike. Uh, love to see it. I'm so glad that you had some other co-hosts between myself and Chanae because I did not want to fill those shoes and, and her talent itself. But... As much as she's been killing it on ESPN, hosting NBA Today, the fact that she's back out there balling again, whew, it's, does she know no bounds? Bro, Chanae is one of the most impressive people I have ever been around in my life because of the amount of things she's simultaneously balancing at once. Like her, We talk about great sports families all the time. Her and her sister, both number one overall picks coming out of Stanford in the WNBA draft. Both WNBA All-Stars. And off the court, NECA is the president of the WNBA Players Association. Chanae, one of the VPs. I'll never forget 2020, Chanae opted out of the bubble because she was dealing with some injuries. And NECA was in there when the Jacob Blake shooting happened and the NBA players walked off the court during every commercial break. Our show got blown up five minutes before air. It was all on that. It was all on the response from these leagues. And during every break, I watched Chanae on the phone with NECA trying to coordinate what's our response going to be how are we going to present wow. this unified front how are we going to coordinate this with our television partner who's broadcasting this in the bubble all then going back on air to offer up very deeply personal opinions about mm. what had just happened the loss of yet another black life during a summer where we saw that happen far too often in big moments and it was it, an awe-inspiring performance someone who day-to-day brought it one of the best teammates i've ever been around so excited to see her continue the basketball side of her passion something that she still very much loves like don't let all the tv shit fool you she's ready to ball and i'm excited to go watch it here gonna be uh front and center it's some sparks games as this comes up this summer for sure uh brandon let's get to that that is some news as the nfl gets ready for off season and the start of the new league year on march 7th 
We're in franchise tag season. We've talked a lot about the quarterbacks, but this also means that we're in cap casualty season. And it was announced by the Bustin' with the Boys podcast that Tennessee mm-hmm. Titans made a number of moves to get under the salary cap, including releasing longtime left tackle Taylor Lewan, also wide receiver Robert Woods, and linebacker Zach Cunningham and kicker Randy Bullock. Uh, they were $23 million over the cap. Lawan saved them just under $15 million, but three-time Pro Bowler, the 11th pick in the 2014 draft, and was entering the final year of a five-year, $80 million contract that he signed. I think he was the longest tenured Titan at this point. He had been there for nine years, but you even go back and look. I saw him on Pardon My Takeover Super Bowl week saying, I'm going to get cut this offseason. Two ACL injuries Mm. in the last three years and a big number. He's a smart veteran player, understood and saw the writing on the wall. And now we will see if, you know, he wants to continue playing, if all those injuries have added up for him and he'd rather sail off into the sunset and keep going with the podcast. But that's a franchise face kind of shift for a guy that had always been a very vocal face of that group in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, coming off of the the Trey Smith interview earlier this week, I just can't stop thinking about all the ass kickers at O-line that I've enjoyed watching over time. And Taylor Wine's one of them. And, and even when he was struggling with injury and was still playing out there, how transparent he was about, you know, this player really got me today. I'm going to come back and be, be better next week. Like, the He's been a pillar in this new media landscape. And it's unfortunate that he he's – no longer going to be with the Titans, obviously a staple in that franchise, but I'm excited to see what possibly happens next for him. Obviously, podcast is doing great, but, you know, all former football players just want to get back on the field, and all current football players just want to get back on the field, so I imagine that's where he's going to end up. Yeah, we saw uh, a lot of documented uh, stuff from Will Compton of the quest for year 10 this year when he almost got signed late in the season, so one thing is, you know exactly where that content will be coming from, and when the news gets broke, where it'll eventually be broken. So, uh, again, that news there, uh, Taylor Lewan uh, out after nine years three po- uh, and three Pro Bowls with the Tennessee Titans. Brandon, let's get to the third. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Clear out some space. Uh, we have been watching The Last of Us, uh, giving reviews oh, on this yes. podcast every week as it has come out. Usually we like to wait till later in the week as you and I sometimes need a couple of days to see the episodes. We want to give everyone time to see the episodes. We will always say, spoiler alerts are on deck. We are going to talk about specific plot points happening in this episode and up to this point in the season. If you haven't seen it yet, make sure you stop listening here. For everyone else, <laughs> yes. let's get to episode six, Brandon, uh, titled Kin. As Joel and Ellie, we get the beginning of the episode is the end of episode five where we lose Sam and Henry, and then they flash forward three months as these two are now snowy conditions. They have made it to Wyoming where they've been trying to go this whole time to find Joel's brother Tommy. And after a brief stop in a log cabin, they end up being confronted by Tommy's group that had come out, Ryder's 
from uh, the township. It's not even really the quarantine zone, like the QZs that we've seen. It's this beautiful, sprawling town, I believe in Laramie, Wyoming, that is sort of a utopia where Tommy, Joel's brother, has now found himself. So it was a big payoff. We got to finally see Joel and Tommy reunited. That had been the quest that we had been gifted at the beginning of this franchise as Joel was taking Ellie as cargo on the way to go and rescue his brother who had joined the Fireflies. But what did you make of that of that interaction when we finally got those two back together? It was powerful, Mike. It was special. Um, very rarely can you feel the time between two fictional characters uh, the way that you know we were able to see between Tommy and Joel. Um, but also I thought, I thought one of the things that hit me most was just that this community could exist during this time. Yeah. Right. It was, it was one of those things that like, uh, amongst all the craziness, you would hope that there was somewhere where someone was doing it the right way and it wasn't dangerous and there wasn't a, a one dictator just ruining everything like Kathleen, like this was a, a family of people trying to start over in their little town and being as protective as they possibly can. That's why I thought the the couple that they ran into before they got to Tommy in Wyoming was such a special scene and and so important to like just how we're building this 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 world and this narrative, but I don't know. I, I did love that it fell apart immediately though. Like that seems yeah. very true to life for a family and, and the, the amount of time and different agendas and different people being in different parts of their life. Um, I, I, I thought it was it was perfect, and especially with Tommy about to become a father, something that Joel has perpetually failed at in his mind and in reality while seeing it throughout the show. Ah, it was just good shit. It was, good shit. It, was it was, it was, you're right. It almost immediately turned back into, because remember, Joel had been someone who said, Tommy's a joiner. It wasn't like he sang his brother's praises every time it was talked about. It's there's only so many things you can trust in this world and blood is the top of the list. And so I am going to go out and find my brother because who else, especially now that I've lost Tess, can I actually trust? That's why it really serves to show too. Ellie's now become his like the lines are drawn in that for Tommy, it is, I have a wife here and I have a child on the way. And that is my priority. And for Joel, it's, I have this mission with this young girl that is now for lack of a better term, become like a daughter to me. And you saw that friction immediately kick up between the two when all of a sudden it wasn't just as simple as, well, I've arrived. I came into the thing that I was going to say for you. And now here we go on the thing that's important to me, at least not until after it took a little bit of convincing from Joel, where we kind of get to also the crux of this is once you get that abrupt thing, which by the way, I think it's worth noting, Joel never apologizes for any of his interaction with Tommy in that argument. Tommy comes back later and apologizes to Joel. He never does the same. Which is interesting because there was the moment where Tommy says, tries to basically fish for a compliment and say, you know, I I think I can be a pretty good dad. And Joel, I'm paraphrasing here, essentially says, yeah, we'll see. Because he realizes he's getting an answer that doesn't go along with everything he just fought through and lost tests for and battled through to get there. Like all the stuff that Tommy couldn't see and didn't ask for in Tommy's defense. You never got an apology from Joel, which I thought was interesting. What you got was him pouring his guts out about what we had seen leading up to this is he is scared because he realizes his body and really just in general, 
what he's seen himself as the protector is failing, right? We saw him having the panic attacks leading up to this at a couple of points leading early in the episode. He's had the difficulty hearing. He falls asleep constantly on the night watch when he's supposed to be awake. That goes back to very early in the episodes uh, too. So you did get that where they come together and he does spill his guts basically saying, I'm broken now. Yeah, but also in his brokenness, He's actually become a pretty good dad. And I think Ellie would probably uh, comp to that. You know, obviously there's that relationship, Mike. But I thought the big reveal for Ellie realizing that Joe was a father this episode was one of the biggest, like, plot points. And I love how she just took it just right on chance. Like, oh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Or that explains a lot. Like, it does. Oh, if you don't know. It does. Well, remember, there was that moment, too, in episode five where when uh, Henry is with Joel, he says, uh, he makes the uh, makes the comment, says, you know, your father and Joel and Ellie at the same time go, not my dad. Right. And he goes, right. well, you're somebody's dad. I can tell. Like, everyone sees yes. it on him. The way that he acts, they can all tell. And so, yeah, when Ellie's getting her hair cut by, I think Maria is... is um, yes. Mm-hmm. is uh, Tommy's, Tommy's wife's wife. name when she's cutting yeah. Ellie's hair and she sees the names on the board, Maria's lost child and then Joel's lost child on there. Yeah, it, it's not a surprise for her. And you, we've seen that relationships become incredibly familiar, all the beautiful things about how that's developed we talked about. But then you get to the big moment, Brandon. Probably the best acted moment of the series so far and the highest stakes in any moment so far. The confrontation between Joel and Ellie when Ellie is eavesdropping, mm. she's supposed to be watching that movie, which I think is Goodbye Girl is the title of the movie, which, you know, every everything everything go. is something, sending a message. Yes. He, she exactly. sneaks away from that and hears Joel begging Tommy to take Ellie to the Firefly camp where they can try and find. It's across some dangerous area. And he basically says... I've already failed so much. He talks about having dreams where he wakes up and he feels like he's lost his daughter again. I'm failing in my sleep. He doesn't feel like he's done a good job protecting Tess, protecting Ellie up until this point. And so he begs Tommy, who's younger and more capable, to take Ellie the rest of the way. And he agrees. And so when Joel goes back to the house where her and Ellie, him and Ellie are staying, she's already ready at, to have this confrontation because she feels like he's been trying to give her away. And Joel initially meets that with force, tries to basically turn this back into, you know, her just being cargo when we know that's not the case. And this is the scene where Brandon, in the post credits, they revealed almost shot for shot, word for word, the adaptation of one of the most important pivotal scenes in the video game, where Ellie says, everybody I have ever cared for has either died or left me. Everybody fucking except for you. So don't tell me that I'd be safe with somebody else because the truth is I would just be more scared. And Brandon, I got chills when she said it. I got chills reading it again now because it is a powerful, like that's the moment. That's what their bond has become. I trust you. Even if you're not the best option, you're my option. And that pound of, tr- you know, ounce of trust is worth more than a pound of ability to Ellie at this point based on what they've been through. And it fucking sang. Like Bella Ramsey and Pedro Pascal both absolutely balled out in that scene. Mike, as a father, it hits me in a completely, probably the same but different way. Because as a parent, you're not always concerned with 
how the child feels about the thing that's best for the child. You know what I mean? Like, like, it, but in all actuality, it's simple as me dropping Carter off at, at daycare or at the monastery or Montessori, whatever we're calling it, whatever it's actually called. I know this is in the best interest, but in all actuality, he's just more scared being around different people for this amount of time before mommy picks him up, right? Like the the hearing the child's thoughts in that moment was pretty powerful for me. Um, especially I thought it was, I thought it was even more potent because there was the beginning of this show. The beginning of this episode was the question that Ellie gives to Joel of you could be, this is all over. Like, where do you want to be? You could do anything. Like, what is it? Right? Like there's this like existential level that they're both getting on. And now it's to the point where this relationship is ending and Potentially, and it is the time for her to move on, and it is the time for this to be done. But the precious cargo and the the child that he has found in this journey, her potentially being the cure for the entire world, I, I still can't let go of that. I still see that through all of this is that he is pressure handling precious cargo in a way that. He's trying to say it's just for tests, but he's hopeful thing as well. Like like we talked with Charlotte, hope's a hell of a drug. Like I think the reality is he's worried about effing things up for society as a whole by by getting getting Ellie killed. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's why he never really like when he said, I'd want to tend sheep. Like he kept the bar low because for Joel, it's always been about survival. Like back when it was yeah. before 2003, he was a contractor and he was doing whatever he could to take care of his daughter. So much so that you had the moment with the watch gift where he just hadn't taken the time to go and fix his watch because he didn't have the time. And now in the world after, it was doing whatever him and Tess had to to survive. It's all always been about what are the five minutes in front of my face and so when he finally reconsiders after that moment he storms out of the room they take a night to sleep and the next morning when uh, Tommy comes to get Ellie and they go down to the stable Joel's already there prepping the horse because we kind of see there he didn't want to leave her and that show right. just really that show of force from her just gave him the credence to do what he wanted to do. He didn't want to leave this girl. He loves this girl as much as he has tried to distance himself from it and would never outwardly say it. He loves Ellie and he care he cares about what happens to her. Yes, the larger points about the world are absolutely there, but he cares about this person who he has become so familiar with over the course of this multi-month journey from the QC to where they are here in Wyoming and so he shows up at that stable ready to ride out with them because of that, I think. Ken is is the name of the episode, and I've always considered, obviously, Joel and Tommy finally linking up again. But it's really about Joel and Ellie. Like, there's something about the term Ken of relationship, but not that, like, like hard line in the sand of blood. Oh, it's you feel me? Well, it a hundred percent, Brandon. Like, and it's what happens in life. Like, we see it all the time. Proximity dictates a lot of that. But Joel and Tommy have different lives now. They have other people that are responsible for them, and they'll always love each other. But you saw it comes baked in with so many of the things that they've been through together. 
Tommy's son and or Tommy's child, who that's going to be, is someone that's going to need him. Ellie is someone that, who needs Joel right now. And once Joel especially sees that Tommy's good, he's in a utopia in this world, I think part of that also shifts it for him of, all right, he's taken care of. Like, I... I the thing that I came out here to try and make sure I could protect is fine, but I've still got this other more dependent person that needs me that now has to go to the top of the list. A couple things that uh, speak to that. When he first met him, he said, what are you doing here? He said, I came to save you, right? And then when he feel like realizes how he was able to survive, he gets pissed at him that he stayed off the radio. He tries to blame Maria. He's like, she's the reason why you stayed off the radio. He's like, I'm trying to protect this entire town by by not giving up where we are. Sorry if it wasn't just sending smoke signals to, to you and Tess. But I do feel like, and I want you to speak to this now, as someone who just bought a PS5, and I imagine has bought this game, I need to understand how the shot-for-shot scene this moment that you like so eloquently put out for us is so integral in a effing video game like i don't understand how this strong of a narrative that can bleed over to a it's not tv it's hbo script and hit so hard when we're talking about a video game with we won't say the name like that but mushroom zombies right so brandon yeah it's a great point and it I realized this. So yeah, bought a PS5 the other day, like we talked about with Charlotte. And I got um, uh, God of War Ragnarok, the Harry Potter Legacy video game, and The Last of Us Part 1. And I started playing The Last of Us last night. I'm only up to, I think, about episode three's worth of the way through. It is very hard when I am out of practice. But the thing I realized playing both of those games, I don't know if you remember, Halo was really popular when we were in college. Similar yes. type of game where you're going through first person shooter. There's objectives you got to carry Oof. out, other people you got to work with, NPCs, all that stuff. But that was a game where it was action with a side of story. Like I always remember, you could skip through a lot of the narrative stuff. You just hit the A button and move through that and get back to whatever the next, you know, Brown of Aliens you had to shoot was. These are now basically feature films with a side of like action from you. You can't fast Mm. forward through anything. You sit there and you digest this entire product that they've put together. So you get these long runs where it's like watching a movie or a TV show play out in front of you. So many of those deep narrative moments, you're sitting there baking in. And then on the other side, it's, hey, you've got to get away from some clickers. Or, hey, you've got to get from here to Bill and Frank's place and try and find a way to navigate through certain situations. But... It is much more close to a 50-50 or even 60-40 narrative versus action split than it was with the games that were even starting to broach that when we were coming up. Well, I was going to say the first time we saw this was with an actual zombie movie, Resident Evil. I don't know if you remember back in the day on on PS2. Oh, yeah. Like it was the first like thing that everyone got, gathered around and played like the same guys I was playing Risk with. We cleared off the table and went to a TV and started watching this Resident Evil. And there was like shock and all like big, like like scary moments that were all just narrative based. And I, and I think at that point in time, you could not click through. And I think obviously they fixed that in, in further video games. But it's good to know that this is pulling from a cinematic uh, source, Yeah, I guess. It is. it has definitely become cinema, and with the graphic technology they have, all these things make it that way where that's possible, where a moment like that can come to mean so much to the video game community that when the show does it right, 
it gets all of this acclaim and praise for it uh, on the other side. Brandon, obviously the ending of this episode, also very important. As Joel and Ellie begin their journey, they go off, Tommy stays behind, the brothers have kind of mended things, but again, no sorry from Joel because that's just not how he operates. And so as they go out, they find and, and get you know mixed up. They get to where they thought the Fireflies were, which was supposed to be at a university that was around there. They make it through relatively unscathed oh, yeah. on what was supposed to be a dangerous path. And then the Fireflies are supposed to be there. And they get there, and nobody's around. And then a couple of you know roaming bandits end up on the school property, and they've got to fight their way out of that. And you brought it up before. Joel kind of seeing the hope for the world through Ellie now where he's sort of been invited because of what she represents to kind of think about a little bit more when they're riding around on the horse. He says, you know what? I changed my mind about what I want to do. If this vaccine works and we can all go back to normal, I want to be a singer. And they start to have that conversation and then stuff, you know, then they get up there and stuff starts to go kind of haywire. But that's that little bit of hope that she has kind of worn him down. And the same way he sort of hardened her, she has sort of softened him to the point where he is starting to wonder if this is possible and not just dismissing it right in time for a firefight between him and these bandits, where at the end we see Joel get stabbed. And okay, okay, okay. Did you choose your words carefully there? Why? Because in the episodes to come, I didn't see him. So, And the last time we see him, he was very much bleeding out. Yeah, so the, the episode ends. They manage to get back on the horse. Him and Ellie skip out of the uh, off the campus and get towards the railroad tracks away from these uh, people that were attacking them. And Joel falls off the horse and... And we have Ellie applying pressure over the top. Honestly, role reversal to what we saw in the very first episode with Joel and his daughter, where Joel is over the top of her, Uh, trying to hold the blood in this wound, begging her to stay with uh, him. And Ellie's saying, I can't do this without you. It is the almost mirror image with the roles reversed hmm. of father and daughter in that moment. But Brandon, speaking of choosing your words carefully, watching the after episode thing, everyone there was very careful where we didn't hear Joel's death or anything about Joel dying. And I've seen, you know, I haven't looked ahead for any spoilers, but it's just one of those where when it's not really stated explicitly and with how much this show tends to use flashbacks of times before in the way that they explain character origins and stuff, I wouldn't count Joel out just yet. I don't know that for a fact, but I don't think he I don't think we are done with him. Okay. That would that would make me happy because I'm used to people that I care about dying in these HBO shows. Um, would be very Game of Thrones and, of The Last of Us for him to die there. Right. Yeah, and I he's he's white as a ghost and I, just, I don't see a medic. You know, they always like have like the uh the I always go back to Hunger Games, but that balloon that floats down like when somebody needs something because they're watching, like there's obviously narratively based balloons that are coming, but I just don't see one coming. I, I, I think in my world, when I watch those the, the next episode, Joe died. Well, we will have to wait and find out. Very excited. Only three episodes left uh, of what's been one of my favorite series of recent memory. Excited to now play along on the game and be able to kind of see what the parallels are, what some of the differences that we've talked about that pop up down the stretch here. 
As always, if you made it this far, we appreciate you. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, Rojo, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. And check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well under the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank.